0: Hello everybody and welcome to Inside Physician Recruiting. Uh, My special guest today is Dr. Harvey Castro. And Dr. Castro is a board certified EM physician, entrepreneur in the billing and staffing space. He's an author, medical correspondent for both NBC and Univision, also has an MBA. Uh, His most recent project is ChatGPT Healthcare where he essentially talks about the role and the potential of AI and helping to drive a transformation in the healthcare space. Dr. Castro, welcome to the podcast. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I've got to ask, my first question is, You know, I think for most people, just becoming a doctor is a pretty substantial goal. You've obviously done a lot beyond that. What drove you to sort of go into all these different areas of writing and consulting and entrepreneur and all that stuff?
1: You know, I've asked myself that same question over and over. What's pushing me to continue to work so hard? And honestly, I think it's, to be honest, I really think it's I have a strong why. Uh, Basically, I I have to give a little quick background. I come from a really, really humble beginning. I'm the first college student in my family, um, the first American in my family. And my mom uh, was basically a teenager when she had me. And so I didn't have the resources. I didn't have, you know, basic stuff. Even, uh, you know, having sometimes food on the table wasn't a luxury. And Mm -hmm. so I think that strong environment that I was in uh, really pushed me to become more. Uh, As a child, I remember saying multiple times, I am gonna work hard and obtain different goals so that I never have to have these issues in my life in the future. And I think that strong why is (laughs) ironically why when, to back to get my MBA and why I wrote this last book. I I just think it's just this constant, uh, what I call reinventing yourself. that keeps pushing me to keep doing more and more, uh, to the point where my wife now is like, okay, you've done enough. (laughs) You need to just kind of chill and relax. And it is honestly hard for me to just kind of relax and do nothing, uh, up until We just got recently married. Uh, Up until her, before her, I I would not take a break. I would just keep going, going, going.
0: But it's fun, right? I mean, you know, some people watch football. Some people write books and, you know, do things like this. So I I think that's fantastic. So beyond the why, what's the how? I mean, obviously, to do all of that, I mean, there's got to be some tips and tactics in there to – You know, either with goal setting or time management, is there anything that you did that you think could be passed on to other people, essentially wanting to do more, but just don't feel like they have the time?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, And I'm not self-promoting my book here. I I did a book exactly for that. It's called Success Reinvention. But, But basically, the skinny is the following. I think it's important, obviously, like you already mentioned, you have to have goals. Um, And as a doctor, what's really interesting to me is most doctors, once they become a doctor, they kind of turn off that goal. They're like, you know what, that was my big goal. I did it, I'm done. And then they kind of just get stuck into the mundane, which is fine, but I think they stop reinventing themselves. They stop uh, creating. So I think if you're a creator, keep creating. The other thing is, uh, another tip is not being scared of failure. You know, I, I know everyone listening out there has had, uh, an idea that they thought, man, this could be a million dollar idea or, oh man, if I had done this, or they're using a product that they thought, man, I thought of this product a long time ago. I just never wanted to fail. or I just never took that next step. And so part of it too, is having, um, the ability just to take that next step. The the other one is having a mentor. Uh, you know, you would think I I don't have a mentor, but I actually do. <laughs> uh, I, I I would consider always having a mentor because we're not perfect; we never know everything. I multiple times will ask my wife about her opinion, what she thinks, and, and she's not in the medical space at all. But I want to see uh, things from her lens. So I think it's important to be able to take uh, feedback from others. The other, you know, I'm over uh, generalizing here, but it's hard for physicians sometimes to ask for help. We're the ones helping, and it's really weird for us to ask for help. And so I encourage doctors to ask for help. It's okay to say, hey, I'm not good at everything. A lot of doctors, uh, they feel like, well, I'm good at medicine, therefore I should be good at business. Well, in reality, that may not be the case because we're not trained in business, we're trained in medicine. And so another tip is, Uh, push yourself just like you at one point didn't know medicine and you pushed yourself to learn medicine my other tip is push yourself to become good at other things for example uh there was a time where I was acquiring emergency rooms and I had no idea my business partner was helping me do that and then week after two I said you know what let me take over from now on I I think I can negotiate I think I know what to look for I know the parameters and There was always things in the business that I had no idea and I would take them on. (laughs) I don't know if that was uh, dumb or smart, but I I took it on because I thought I am obviously weak at this. These are the things I don't want to do. Let me uh, ask for my mentors to help me, but then let me push myself to learn more. The last big tip that I have been doing is... Obviously, there's more books than years than we are alive to, to be around to read them all. And so what I've been doing is I, I'm not promoting this one product, but it's there's multiple products like this, but it's called Get Abstract. And the skinny is, is what it sounds like. So all these books that people tell you, oh, you need to read this one and you need to read that one. Uh, you put in the, the name of the title and it gives you a, a eight to ten page summary. Uh, it, it either listen to it or read it. But then this was my best way to learn. So when I was negotiating emergency rooms and buying things that I needed to negotiate, I literally uh, downloaded the top 20 abstracts, read all of them, and then asked people that were in that space to see how they did it. And then by the time I was out in the forest doing it, I was actually pretty good at it because I I, I was humble enough to say, you know what, I know I suck at this and I'm going to (laughs) learn.
0: It's all good stuff. I actually second that idea of the abstract. I have used a couple of those services and it's great because at the end of the day, I think even a great book, you can probably boil down to five to 10 key bullet points. And that's exactly what those services do. And it, you know, obviously saves you tons of time and those that you find the best, most interesting, you can go back and read the whole thing later as time allows, you know? So before we get into the new, platform you have you know all about the ai chat gpt space what do you as a physician think the biggest issues are going on with healthcare right now what are the the main problems that you think need to be tackled
1: gosh there's so many silos and different parts of that question but uh i feel like mental health is a big one and let me explain as a er board certified doctor so multiple times that. I would evaluate a patient and unfortunately that person was either suicidal or needed more help beyond the emergency room and the system is to my to my opinion is it's broken basically i i feel like we would have to hold patients in the er and try to get resources and unfortunately some of the patients didn't have the funds to be uh transferred to a certain hospital because they didn't have insurance and and it just made me sad because i thought this person has true mental uh breakdown they have true mental disease and and how can we help these individuals and so you know i'm starting to see more legislation especially here in texas where they're uh creating more hospitals to help these individuals uh find aid and i feel like that is a big uh part in the system the other one that i feel like is a big big issue is as as patients and physicians Every time you change employer, you have to change your insurance company, and to me, that makes no sense. You know why should your healthcare be tied to your employment? And so, you know, the average lifespan of jobs have changed. You know, back with our parents and grandparents, they would work for a company and they would probably stay there the rest of their lives. But nowadays, it's very common for for patients. I mean, for us to change jobs, and so I feel like that legislation should be changed so that way that healthcare stays with you so that if you find a physician that you absolutely love and and healthcare that you love, why why should that change? Because now you have a different job and they may have a different carrier that may force you to see a different provider.
0: Interesting. So how do you think, or I guess where do you think that AI is gonna have the biggest impact within the healthcare space? Is it in delivery? Is it in staffing? Is it on the patient side? Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I will preface by saying there's multiple issues in the sense that we have some ethical issues, we have some access issues, uh, some biases in the database, but, but, but how is it used today? I think the greatest impact will be in uh, education for both providers out there and patients. And when I say that, I, I, I believe strongly that there's information that ChatGPT will be able to provide both sides. The problem is there's this thing called hallucination where uh, ChatGPT may make a statement that is totally false. And that's the last thing you want on the education side. And so my answer back is it needs to be in conjunction with your physician. Your physician needs to guide that information. So that way, that physician that's an expert in that particular field can answer questions of ChatGPT. For example, if ChatGPT gave you an answer about a particular surgery, I'm not a surgeon. I may not be the best person to say, yeah, that's correct, because I don't do that surgery. And so my point is, the future, I believe there'll be different databases, just like we call Kleenex is a Kleenex. I think ChatGPT, in many people's mind, will always be ChatGPT, but in reality, what's driving it may be a different database. And not to get too geeky and specific on you, but there's one that's called BioGPT, and that is specific to healthcare, and I do believe that that's going to be the one that's going to emerge as... Patients will be able to ask good questions. Uh, In the future, it will help triage patients. Um, And then later, I'm seeing this now, uh, doctors are actually using AI to help diagnose patients. And so um, I know that sounds crazy because like, how can a robot or AI help a human being? But let me explain how they're using it. They're more using it for those atypical cases or the cases that they get stumped where they're putting the patient's symptoms and asking ChatGPT, what do you think? What other tests or what could it be? Or what's what we call differential diagnosis? What are the different things that it could be? And so not necessarily making the diagnosis, but it's helping, it's just an aid. You know, 10 years ago, you would never think twice about a calculator, you know, or, or an iPhone. Now it's just common. Uh, now this is a new thing called ChatGPT and people are scared and, and don't know and, and kind of resisting. But I think in the future, the physician, just like they grab their stethoscope and their smartphone, It'll be armed with an equivalent ChatGPT. Yeah,
0: and you've seen, you know, just in the last couple weeks, a lot of major platforms sort of, you know, tying in their own version of that to where you're still native within that platform, but then they've got some kind of a link to that. And I guess that's ultimately what you think the physicians will have, right, is some version of an app that they typically use that, you know, draws on this large language model to like you said, essentially help them come up with some additional ideas around what could this be based on these symptoms. Because, you know, we do, we do tend to focus on what we know, right? And there's always something new out there and, and just kind of maybe even having that presented to them maybe opens their mind a little bit to some other ideas that could be. If you look down the road, 10 years, 20 years, what, what do you think this has the potential to become for physicians and patient care in general?
1: Yeah, I I honestly think it's just going to be a part of healthcare. Just like we go to the doctor and get a physical and get our vitals, it'll just be part of it. And I think it'll be so integrated into our healthcare that it'll be like another Alexa or another Siri on your phone where it's just part of the daily part of your life. Um, Let me take it to a real example that I don't think we're far from and then just play with this scenario yeah. in your mind. And I think this is coming. There's a scenario where I see chat GPT or let's just not call it ChatGPT, a GPT where patients, let's say in the middle of the night, wake up and say, I'm having the following symptoms. Should I go to the ER? And I believe truly that there'll be a system in place where you would enter those symptoms. It would kind of do like a mini triage. And then simultaneously it would connect you to a Teladoc and a telemedicine doctor would come in, go over your symptoms and say, yep, you need to come to the emergency room. you know what? I can take care of this right now. I'll call in the prescriptions and uh, have Amazon's Android drop off the medicine within the hour. And then let's just say a different scenario where you have to go to the hospital. Then the doctor will pre-register you, will already know that you're coming, will send a Tesla equivalent, will come in, pick you up, take you to the hospital. Simultaneous, when you're sitting in the car, Uh, there'll be a camera and this already exists that will be able to take your blood pressure, your vitals, your oxygen. And so you already know your triage numbers and in real time is sending all that information to the physician. And in theory, you would have a drug printer in the car where if it thought you needed drug X or Y, it would literally could print it for you. And so by the time you got to the hospital, it would already know your vitals. It would already know your EKG. It would already know basic information Doctor would act, say that did the blood work and uh, said, you know what? Everything looks good. You can go home. They give you some medicine. In the morning you go to the restroom and it analyzes your urine, your stool, and that knowledge already exists. And then it sends that information to the doctor saying, oh yeah, he took his medicine. Oh, you know what? He needs to have this medicine tweaked. And now that medicine is now tweaked and your printer at home is a drug printer that prints your medicine to a different dose. And so honestly, that sounds crazy just saying it, but I honestly think I'll I'll have a lifetime where I will see that. You know, may not see all of it in the next few years, but I think eventually I will see all of those factors that I just talked about.
0: As someone who sat in an ER for multiple hours not too long ago, I honestly think that makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if you think about it, everything you describe leads to better patient care more efficiency. That efficiency helps with the staffing problems that we're having within healthcare. And there's nothing about the delivery of that that is crazy. I mean, I think maybe the printing is the only thing, but if you can 3D print a house, why couldn't you 3D print a, a pill or something? Or yeah. you know. But I think everything in there is doable. So I mean, here's a question I have for you. I was on a panel um, at a hospital CEO conference, I guess about probably five, six years ago. And one of the things that they had talked about was that at the time the average physician would need to read 30 hours a week to effectively stay on top of all of the new advancements in medicine, procedures, pharmacology, how all these things interact, which obviously can't be done. If you look at chat GPT, which is basically information, and then you look at a robot, which is basically a, a physical form of moving that information around. Do you see any future where those two are combined, and you could theoretically i mean if you know I'm reading an article that says chat GPT passed parts of the medical licensing exam, could you theoretically take every piece of the best information that any doctor would ever know, put that into this technology you know platform database, have that housed within a robot and then have that replicated across? thousands of robots and have them provide care at least alongside a doctor? Because, I mean, other than obviously the, the human empathy, w- w- what about that couldn't happen at some point down the line? So a couple of things he
1: said. Number one, the amount of information that we're responsible for is huge. Uh, every 72 to 74 days, our medical knowledge doubles. I mean, think about that. Jeez. That's just crazy. And so for me to keep up with all that is a lot of work. And so the answer is yes. I think we do need some some technology. It may not necessarily be the label called ChatGPT or let's call it a brand. It may be a different GPT out there, but the principle stands. I think we will have that information to help educate me. In fact, I'm, I'm working on some projects on how to best educate a physician uh, so that they can keep up with all the information that's coming. Yet, Uh, not feel like they're getting out of date. And so that's for a different discussion. As far as what you mentioned, uh, can we create a robot? You know, Microsoft this week announced that they were adding ChatGPT to a robot. And as far as using the robot in healthcare, I have my hesitations in the sense that I feel like As an assistant, it'd be great. I don't necessarily think in my mind I need a robot next to me to kind of walk through or have a physical being present or looking being present, a humanoid. I feel like, honestly, I think with the technology, I feel like it'd be perfect to have it as an assistant. Maybe what would change is instead of having me that has gone through all these years of education, perhaps you continue to focus on the specialization, meaning... Uh, So if there's a specific task that's needed in healthcare, call it the emergency room, call it primary care, that you create a different uh, credentialing system where now you may have a nurse practitioner, and then you have ChatGPT, and then it's kind of like a hierarchy. Then you have like the doctor overlooking the nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner overlooking ChatGPT, and then together you're giving the patient more information. And so... The problem with, I think, having a robot is I, I have a hard time believing that anytime soon it will have the manual dexterity to be able to go in there and, and talk to the patient or do certain tasks. And because healthcare is so different from any other industry, there's that human effect. I I strongly believe in the power of a physician and that when a physician, physician walks into a room and they're wearing the white coat, and they talk to the family and they're like, hey, everything's going to work out, that power will never be transferred to a robot. That statement will never be able to be replicated because that human empathy, that emotional state, and then let's just call it an unknown science of healing, of having a physician come in and, and having that warmth and giving you that empowerment. I, I find it really hard for a human being to be able to feel that way from a robot, no matter yeah. how good it is. That's just my personal opinion.
0: What do you think, what are you hearing and seeing out there about the physician shortage? I mean, obviously, I'm in the staffing space. I've been hearing about this for 15 years. It doesn't seem to be getting better. You know, they've talked about extenders as an option to help. They've talked about telehealth. At at the end of the day, though, if you've got a, a longer living population, especially on the upper end, there were you know, aging, something like 10,000, you know, baby boomers retiring a day or every hour, even some crazy number. And you've got less physicians going into the space. A lot of physicians in different polls, you see, talk about wanting to potentially leave the industry. How do you think all that shakes out over the coming years? Good question.
1: I'm gonna pause and uh, take a deep breath. I honestly am saddened to see that there's amazing leaders and retiring early and there's amazing medical students that now tell me, you know what, I just graduated, but I'm not going to residency, I'm just gonna stop here. And so I feel as a future of healthcare, this is creating a huge dilemma and it's only getting worse. How to fix the problem? I think it's gonna be several platforms. To your point, yes, I think a GPT equivalent, helping uh, physicians in the sense that it's taking some of the mundane tasks away and helping create more time with patients, because at the end of the day, it's all about patient care. And if I'm having to spend 90% of my time charting and doing all this uh, non-healthcare things, then I'm just helping the system. But if I'd rather convert a robot or have some other entity create that job and do all that work, then now I can spend more time and and that day is coming. Um, and I do believe that the shortage should get better in the following way. I have seen several programs and I'm amazed by it that will actually listen to our conversation as I'm seeing you as my patient and it will transcribe everything I say. And so on one level, that's great because now I don't have to look down on my fingers at typing. I can actually look at you. I can do work and that's it's like listen to your heart, listen to your body and whatnot, as opposed to just typing and then coming to you and then doing those things. So from that point, it's making it efficient. The next area that I've seen computers and this type of technology helping is, it's actually listing uh, symptoms. So say we talk for 15 minutes, is the national average, or 13 minutes is the natural average, national average, then I can see a pie graph on my end of how many times you said chest pain, sleep, and then it'll take the constellation and it'll start pseudo uh, diagnosing and then simultaneous from a risk management, they've added a risk management database that will start looking at it and saying, okay, yeah, you haven't ruled out these following diseases, similar to ChatGPT, but already integrated into the EMR. And so how will this help? Well, I honestly think with this kind of peripheral brain and and uh, checks and balances, I do see a future where now you may not need a doctor to do project X. Maybe you just need a doctor to be the supervisor. I know this sounds horrible. And I, when I first heard it, I cringed, but Uh, New York was one of the first states that started having more nurse practitioners in the emergency room and less ER doctors. And on one side, that's great because I feel like on the side that we call the fast track, which is mainly in urgent care, then all the nurse practitioners, I empower them. I think that's where they should be. And then on the ER side, where maybe it's a pneumothorax or maybe something more complicated, not that they can't do it, but we've been trained as ER doctors to take care of emergency room uh, issues. So then maybe we don't need 10 ER doctors. Maybe we only need three. And then the other seven could be nurse practitioners because maybe that's the ratio of care. And so that would help the system. And then if instead of me being in a room typing for 15 minutes, if I can have a computer uh, give me information, then I could be in multiple rooms simultaneously, seeing, talking to patients, and I could become what it's called more efficient. And in that way, it would help uh, lessen the patient or, or the physician burnout. So I, I think that they may be coming. Um, the other part of it is I call it the we're elevating education in healthcare. And so more, you know, you always have that family member or someone that knows all this medicine and we laugh, but in reality, I think that's going to happen in here in the United States especially, as we all have access to information, we're gonna know more about certain diseases. And the more we learn, the more we'll elevate our care. And I really think that fast forward, you know, our grandkids will know way more medicine than we did, than the baseline that we do. And so with that said, those individuals are gonna take care of themselves more. They, they know what foods to eat, what not to eat. And so in reality, the disease process should go down and we should actually live even
0: longer. Interesting. Yeah, never thought about that. I mean, if you think about it, as you know more about health, then theoretically you should do or at least know what to do better than, you know, maybe a generation or two previously. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. So as a physician, obviously, I I can't imagine that you're not bombarded by calls and emails and text messages about permanent opportunities and locums opportunities. So from your own experience and just, you know, obviously colleagues in the space, any thoughts or best practices around what are the best ways to present opportunities to providers? Is it is it text message? Is it short mm-hmm. bullet points? Is it long detail? What, what do you think appeals best that a recruiter could kind of put in their back pocket to say, okay, maybe I need to tweak my approach a little bit here? That's a tough one. Well, let me talk uh, uh, to this
1: point, because there's something you said that it reminded me. I want to tell everybody this. I think I used to have a physician staffing company, and I think it's important for us as physicians to always reinvent ourselves, always make ourselves better. Let me give you a quick point, case in point. I, at one point, I had physicians that refused to type. I had physicians that refused to do certain things that now is common. And it got to the point where I thought, you know what? I can't continue to work with this physician because they're, they're not really doing a good job in the sense that they're not being efficient. And so fast forward that statement, I really do believe that in the future, the more efficient you are, the more you're using these tools, the less likely you are going to be sued, the less likely you're going to quote unquote, take long, you're going to be very efficient in everything you do to the point where you'll be uh, almost like an extra doctor to some extent or you'll be highly sought after with that said i'm encouraging doctors to keep up with technology keep reading keep keep up with everything because if not they're going to outdate themselves and then they're going to be left unemployed no matter how bad the shortage is on the recruiter side that's a tough one you know i hate getting random texts and linkedin messages and you know calls i'm just like constantly just trying to block every number i can I think the best thing is just word of mouth. Uh, when I hear from another physician saying, hey, this company did great for me and I, it was X, Y, Z, those are the companies that if I want, then I'm more likely to start that conversation. Uh, this is probably <laughs> bad news to say on a, on this type of conference, <laughs> this type of talk, but uh, I literally spoke with a developer that is currently working on a software platform that basically will be able to take your LinkedIn resume, We'll be able to take any job posting out there, and then it's creating power to the physician in the sense that the physician can say, I'm looking for this kind of job. And then the software will basically find the job and automatically apply for it, and then totally cutting out recruiters, cutting out everybody else, and then you would basically be able to find that job. And then I heard another company working on a platform using AI that's going to be a matchmaker that's totally going to just have the contracts with the different hospital system and then create a database of the different workforce that are looking for these jobs and then do the matchmaking and able to bring the price down for both sides where you know they're, they're maximizing. So you know, nothing against this space, we need recruiters, um, but I'm worried that in that sense, I have a personal friend of mine that he's worried that he's gonna lose his job from recruiting because of all these technology changes. So fast forward, I worry that this is gonna change the way we do things.
0: I agree. I I think in a lot of ways, it's almost like the early days of the internet, where you don't know what's going to work yet. And, you know, everything is just getting thrown out there. And, you know, obviously at some point it settles down and you end up with Google and you end up with Yahoo. And I I think that's what's going to happen here. I, I think there's so many different technologies out there that are trying to do all of these things. And, you know, the majority of them will fail, but I think ultimately it does lead to a much more efficient space to where you probably can have, you know, maybe is taking 10 people now, maybe in five years, you're doing that with three people and others are, you know, doing other parts of the, you know, the flow or they're more overseeing it or they're helping the companies that are developing that technology. It's going to be an interesting couple of years for sure. Yeah, for sure. So for anybody that is more interested in, you know, everything that you talk about in your, you know as an author, as a consultant, all that, how can people reach you, find you, connect with you? Yeah, Um, I'm on all the
1: major social media platforms. My handle is Harvey Castro MD, as in medical doctor. And uh, feel free to like me on those platforms and message me. I'm I'm pretty responsive on those platforms. And then I have two books, actually three books that are out there on Amazon. uh, If you'd like to check them out. Just type in Harvey Castro MD and you'll see uh, my author page. And then it has all the books. I'm currently working on two more books. One should be released in the next two weeks and the next one I'm hoping to have out by April. Gee,
0: Staying Staying busy.
1: busy. (laughs) Trying.
0: So last question I always ask all my guests, what is a recommendation you have for the audience and why? It could be anything, just why are you recommending it? And it could be one thing, it could be multiple things.
1: You know, this one, I I tend to say the same thing if you've listened to my podcast before. And I think it's just, it's important to take time for yourself and family. And I say this from a humble point because working in the emergency room, I've seen so many horrible things and so many people die that didn't realize, you know, this accident was going to happen today. And my point is this, live every day as if it was your last. Make sure you take time to with your loved ones make sure you take time for yourself because god forbid something happens to you and you just never took the time to smell you know smell the roses and and i think it's important to say because you know here we are we're working on efficiency we're work 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 and i think often we forget who who we are in the sense that we're not taking time for ourselves and and we start becoming a different person in the sense that you're just so worried about xy that you kind of lose sight of who you are in a way and so I just like reminding people to say, hey, take a moment, um, take a moment for yourself and take a moment for all the people around you that, that have given so much to you.
0: Profound advice. Definitely. Well, Dr. Castro, it's been an honor having you on. Um, I, I follow your stuff. You know, I see you on all the channels. And you know, I, I think obviously you've got some great things to put out there for the community. So it was a pleasure having you on. And I hope everybody enjoyed this one as much as I did. And thank you for checking out the podcast. Thank you so much.